Hello and welcome to BB On The Record, this podcast from British Bandsman. I'm Mark Good, editor of British Bandsman, and in this episode I'm joined by the director of music at Black Dyke, Professor Nicholas Childs. Nick looks ahead to Black Dyke's first virtual brass day, with lots of fun in store and a chance to hear from some banding legends. He also looks back, reflecting on some of his favourite contest victories and a couple that got away. Nick lifts the lid on some fascinating rules and traditions that come with being part of Black Dyke, and compares his approach to music making on the concert and contest stages. All that, plus he picks a mouth-watering piece of the podcast. But first, how does he reflect on the past few months? It's, it's been a strange time, isn't it? Uh, I conduct probably the most busiest band in the world, and yet since uh, last March, uh, forget about doing uh, two or three rehearsals a week and a, and a concert every week. Everything is, has naturally had to go on shutdown. And um, the only thing that we've been really thinking about is preparing for coming back. And uh, that would be so important. As you mentioned, Nick, Black Dyke has one of, if not the busiest schedule in banding. Just how strange has it been for you and the band over the past few months without those regular concerts, those contests and those recordings? It's very strange. And so, uh, you know, one of the questions often that go along with this is, you know, how have we been managed to keep in touch with each other? What have we been doing instead of those rehearsals? We did try to do some Zoom meetings all collectively together. Um, but the only trouble with that is that you only listen to one voice. And uh, whilst it was good for me to be trying to influence on what the, the players will be um, practicing, I wasn't actually listening to what they had to say to me. And now we've gone to every two weeks um, I have six Zoom meetings with Black Dyke. And so that's a Zoom meeting with every section of the band. And so in that, of course, then I can make sure that their well-being um, is being thought of. During, you know, almost a 12 months, we've had to deal with sad losses in people's families, dealing with terminally ill uh, friends and, and close friends. And so to be that supportive uh, influence is, is important. Uh, we pride ourselves at Black Dyke to be part of the, the Black Dyke family. Genuinely, uh, it, is, it is so important. If you imagine someone like Dan Thomas, my principal euphonium player, to say he's dedicated is an understatement. Before the lockdown, Dan would have been doing around about three to four hours rehearsal in preparation uh, to come into his rehearsals at Black Dyke. Well, now uh, we've had to find other things where he can be motivated. Uh, one of the things uh, we did at Black Dyke was we started a, a solo series and uh, it was an opportunity for the soloists of the band uh, to come and show their prowesses uh, on our Facebook. That was the first step. And when you consider in these, in these lockdowns, our Facebook has gone up in, in numbers. And so uh, we're now uh, over 27,000 people that actually uh, follow us on, on Facebook. So we started off, as I said, on, on the soloists, but I quickly found out that it wasn't the soloists in many ways that needed motivating. They still had the repertoire and uh, they, their goals were, that they wanted to achieve when we come back. But it was the rank and file bandsman, bands lady um, that I needed to look at. And so we stretched that then to the sections and uh, developed our virtual um, performances. Now, some of these virtual performances, your listeners might be really surprised to find they've reached close on 200,000. And only yesterday, uh, we launched a, a little video uh, which was uh, acknowledging the fantastic inspiration from uh, uh, Captain Tom 
in, in 24 hours went up to 40,000 people and was picked up by Classic FM and on, uh, shared on their Facebook yesterday. So, um, yeah, we, we, we're trying to keep in touch in that sort of way. It's interesting you chat about some of the technology that's been involved over the past few months and that has played quite a big part in online rehearsals for many bands. Now, for anyone who's been missing the chance to engage or hear from Black Dyke over the past little while, they'll soon have the perfect opportunity to do so at the band's first virtual brass day. So, Nick, tell me a little bit about this online event and what participants can look forward to. Well, I'm glad you mentioned this because this, this is occupying all of my time at the moment. And so the, the Black Day Virtual Brass Day uh, was really introduced by demand. We just held our first one for our Yorkshire Youth Band, which, as it suggests, is all about people under the age of around 18. But from that, we were contacted by a number of other community bands that said, why can't we be involved in it? And so um, hence the Black Day uh, Brass Day, which is for really anyone over the age of 18 and um, within this they can expect to do and uh, their normal warm-ups the sectionals uh, their full band rehearsals and of course then you've got to think of the appetite of what's going to create the interest of them i wanted to make sure that i didn't choose music uh, that was going to be too taxing all of the time and yet to make these brass courses meaningful you needed to stretch the, uh, the delegates that were going to be there so we have everything from uh, Rimmer's Punchinello March uh, to try and feature in all the corners in um, Bugler's Holiday to the great classic, which is, of course, Eric Ball's Journey into Freedom. So we're going to have a question and answer session at the end of the day. And I, I call it the legend spot, just like Glastonbury, the legend spot. And none better than bringing in James Shepard and John Clough. And um, they're going to be talking about their time at Black Dyke. But of course, the connection that they both have with uh, the 1967 win uh, under Maestro Jeffrey Brand on Journey to Freedom, I think it's going to be really exciting for people. Two true legends there, and yes, that's sure to garner a lot of interest in the event. So there may be some people who are really interested in learning from members of Black Dyke, but they may feel a little bit daunted, perhaps by doing it online or negotiating the technology. Will it be easy enough for people to get involved? It will be, um, because again, once, once they make contact, uh, we have certain nickel checklists even before the course, so we can make sure that uh, we can um, fix those challenges before they become problems. And so, for example, um, if there's a person uh, that perhaps will find uh, journey to freedom a little bit more taxing, then the good news for them to realize is when, when they're actually playing along, unless they instruct me, I won't actually be listening to them individually if they come to a section that's really too tricky and they want to just take a few um, bars out of it and join in again later, that's easily achieved. And so nobody is going to uh, personally uh, be listening to them unless they request me to, and then I can do that. That'll be really reassuring for people, I'm sure. So just to recap then, Black Dyke's first virtual brass day takes place on March the 27th. It costs £35 to get involved and that'll include a recording of the day and, as you mentioned, section practices, full rehearsals, there'll be Q&As, there'll be chances to hear some members of Black Dyke in action and that fascinating Legends spot towards the end of the day as well. You can book by contacting Alison Childs that's Alison Forhorn at btinternet.com. You've got it all right there, Mark. And, uh, you know, it, what we find in, because it's uh, such an, an international reach, 
is that, you know, people in Canada and America are getting in touch with us and saying, we're not going to be with you in the morning session. We're going to join you in the afternoon. And as you said, because this is going to be a recording of the full day, then in actual fact, they can review what they've missed in the morning at a later time. But um, yeah, we look forward to having everybody from all over the world join us. So good luck to everyone who's taking part in that event. Well, let's keep talking about this wonderful band then. Nick, you were appointed Director of Music more than two decades ago. That's a remarkable tenure at any organisation, let alone a band like Black Dyke. What do you make of that lengthy association? I guess it's only nice when people like yourself mention it, uh, because uh, at this time of my age, I'm, I'm now 59. I think Major Peter Parks, one of the most successful conductors ever uh, to come to Black Dyke, at that age, he only just arrived. And so I'm, I'm, I would be classed as a baby when you, when you consider that the average age of a conductor at the BBC Proms is well over 70. I'm not looking back at what I've done. I'm looking forward to what I want to do. Some members have been around for quite a long time at the band, but for others, that sort of intensity with all that being part of a band like Dyke involves, it might be something they can only juggle for a certain period of time. How important has it been for you to keep things fresh in the band and to keep it rejuvenated? I think it's very important, but again, your listeners might be interested to know, when I arrived at the band, the uh, average duration of a player in the band was around three years. Uh, since I've been involved in the band, um, it's now around 10 years. So I'd like to think you've got to create that environment and move with the times. Gone are the times when uh, a player uh, would join the band and would attend absolutely every concert and every rehearsal. Black Dyke has moved with the times very much and remembering uh, they're all parts of families and they all have professional jobs. And yet I've got people like Philip Goodwin, my, uh, my EFA tuba player, being in the band now nearly 40 years, nearly 40 years. And so I think it's, it's important when you select a player uh, that you select the right one. And that's not just for me, it's for them too. Uh, if, um, if a player, of course, at Black Dyke can't uh, carry on with you any longer because of their own personal situation, you know, there's a real tradition. And that tradition is um, you're allowed to go back upstairs to the, the traditional band room. And uh, they have wonderful music stands there that are wooden music stands over 160 years old and uh, when you leave you're allowed a couple of minutes to carve your name on the music stand so you can imagine when you look at the principal corner chair and you see the names of Willie Lang or Morris Murphy, Philip McCann, uh, Roger Webster it's quite a, it's, it's quite an emotional time when, when that happens but keeping it fresh is critical to me and so I always say I'm proud of the the past but you know it's what we do in the future that's going to count and sometimes when you bring in a younger player, um, they don't tell you what, they, uh, what they've done in, in, in the past. They want to tell me what they want to do in the future. When I might get a more experienced bandsman that tells me, do you realise that concert down in Cornwall is going to take us six hours on the coach? We're going to have a two-hour concert, and then we've got to come back. That's a full day, boss. No, these younger ones, they, they've got the appetite to do it. So they keep everyone motivated. Or just before the lockdown, my, my most recent uh, play was probably my soprano player, Connor. And um, he's a young man who, who came from, from Brighouse. Gosh, he's got the appetite. I don't think it's, it's a mistake that when you bring in people like him, he does give that extra spark then and enthusiasm that keeps everyone going. So, uh, yeah, let's, let's look forward to the future with the younger people. But let's not forget the bandsmen too. Now, there have been so many contest successes down the years. 
from European titles, national titles, British Opens, English Nationals and many more. From the many performances on the contesting podium, are you able to pick out one that is etched in your memory to this very day? I think so. I, th- I think there are a couple um, that, that, uh, are, uh, you know, that are special to me. Um, probably the first was not when I was at Black Dyke, but in actual fact, when I uh, conducted the Foden's Band and they, in 1999, they won the national championship for the first time in 40 years. At that time, the great um, Rex Mortimer, uh, at conducting them and so that was a, a special one and then I moved from Foden's to, to Black Dyke and in 2001 we won our first national together it was uh, on Albion and so um, I, I think that that will be uh, actually because it was the first one with Black Dyke but make no mistake every contest win is really something to remember uh, I, I know my players are, are definitely appreciate a small token what I, I do after each of these winning performances I give them a bottle of champagne each. It's not something that is comes out of the band funds or anything silly like that. They come out of my pocket and um, they get their name uh, inscribed onto the bottles of champagne, what contest it was. Um, and as my wife very often shows me, she's got a very healthy selection of, I think about 18 or 20 of them. <laughs> and none of them are open yet. But what a night it's going to be when we do start popping those bottles. That shows remarkable restraint on her part, I have to say. Uh, So, so many successes to look back on. Of course, sometimes we go on stage and you might come off thinking it's been a cracking performance and you don't get the result you're looking for. Is there perhaps one that stays in your mind where you came off stage thinking we did really well then and perhaps the result just didn't work out for you? Oh, I I, I can still picture it now. It was the the British Open uh, when you could choose a test piece and there was was a a number of options. And uh, we played Peter Graham's uh, montage we, we got an amazing ovation. Uh, the composer himself uh, was, was elated and it didn't work out. But you know, uh, the one thing I've learned is you, you mustn't get bitter because if you get bitter, it passes on to the players. So for example, on, on, um, we have certain little rules of Black Dyke and I think they're only sensible ones. But for instance, after a competition, we don't look at the adjudicator's remarks for one week. Uh, because uh, we'd like to think that as we prepare for the competition, there's nothing more we can do when we we go onto the stage and we give it it all. But you can imagine if you come second in those competitions and those adjudicators who are being really helpful, but they have to put some negative comments. And when you're playing at that degree, sometimes it can be one negative comment. And what a shame if it said, uh, shame about the second baritone. Just, just, Just going in off the cushion on that F sharp. That's that the poor baritone player would be devastated to, to read that on the day of the contest. And so, um, yeah, we do allow a little bit of time uh, around a week. And then we have a, a, the reading of the adjudications. In between that, I do spend the time to write to the players individually uh, to look at their own personal development after every major performance. And so uh, if you can't win one, then I want to be like an athlete. And that is uh, create a PB, a personal best. And uh, as long as you're trying to do that, I don't think there's anything else you can do. But I do try and find the positives rather than negatives and never get bitter because uh, adjudicators, I genuinely do think, uh, do strive to do the best job possible and just not always the same one as me. (laughs) Nick, now we come to your piece of the podcast. This is an opportunity to share a piece that is rather dear to you. Just before we have a listen, tell me a little bit about why you've chosen this work. 
Uh, Philip Wilby has, has been for many years part of the creative team at Black Dyke. As a matter of fact, in 2020, he celebrated 30 years association with them. But my first uh, recollections of Philip was when he composed in 1995, Revelation. Uh, it was the first time I ever conducted at the British Open. At that time, it was held at the Free Trade Hall in Manchester. I was conducting the Tradiga Band and I went on stage in trepidation. Well, after an intrepidation, it was reality uh, because um, when we finished the competition, uh, we didn't come, let's say, um, last in the competition, but let us say we were, we were very, very close to it. Interestingly, our performance on that day was something like 23 minutes in duration uh, because there was an, an oratorical section towards the end of it. And I really uh, got involved in it and made this quite a, a lengthy piece. If I say to you, the winning uh, performance, which was of Black Dyke and James Watson conducting, in actual fact, was just over 19 minutes. And so um, I totally got it wrong uh, when it came to that rhetorical section. And I remember even opening the score. Um, when you listen to it now, it sounds so contemporary in, in stature. Uh, it's, it's built with two uh, separate bands. The score layout doesn't go from soprano uh, down to percussion. Uh, it's got two separate bands that are all laid out. And it was a really uh, a wide awakening to me uh, when I was thinking that I was a, a euphonium player uh, with talent, but now we found that, that I, the, the euphonium was beside me and I picked up a baton. The reality was it was totally different. But I can say that, um, that I did learn my lesson because although we didn't win that particular contest, every contest I've entered with it ever since uh, whether it be that the European or English nationals, we've been fortunate enough to win. So a very special piece indeed from a fantastic composer. So a special piece and clearly one which has played a major role in your musical life. Let's listen to the sound of Black Dyke Band performing Revelation Symphony for Double Brass by Philip Wilby.
The Sound of Black Tide Band, conducted by Professor Nicholas Childs, performing Revelation Symphony for Double Brass Music by Philip Wilby. That was the piece of the podcast as chosen by my guest today and the conductor in that recording, Nick Childs. Nick, everyone knows that Black Dyke is a very successful band on the contest platform, but it also has what is probably the highest profile of any band anywhere in the world and has been involved in many high-profile performances away from the contest stage. We're also in a time where there are debates about bands becoming too obsessed in the minutiae of contesting, perhaps to the detriment of other areas, whether that be commissioning new music, creating successful concerts, or reaching out to new audiences beyond the brass band world. What's your opinion on that balance of contesting and anything else that a band should be doing? That's quite a question, Mark. That's quite a question. Well, first of all, I think most people know my philosophy that um, I love competitions and I describe it as the sport of our movement. Uh, but I also say that concerts are the lifeblood. And so it, during my time at Black Dyke, I, I, I guess uh, there, there are certain things that stick out that you'd like to think hadn't been done before. In 2007, when we celebrated the 150th year of uh, Sir Edward Elgar playing at the Royal Albert Hall for part of the, the BBC proms. But equally in, in 2017, uh, being the first band to play on the pyramid stage at Glastonbury was also a, a real buzz. And you know, with a history of over 165 years of Black Dyke, uh, there's a habit when you go to competitions and never mind what you do, you bump into one of those legends and never mind how you've played, they always played it better and uh, normally they get a better result in it. Frustratingly, they're normally right. They're normally right. But I don't think uh, you should get uh, hung up about uh, competitions. They are something like the MOT for brass bands because you can be preparing for a concert and you can be really enjoying it. There is nothing like a contest for raising those, those standards. However, for many bands, uh, they will be peaks and troughs, whereas a black dyke, they're more like hills and valleys because the standard of the band never really drops. If you, if you imagine that uh, before the, the, the pandemic, uh, the average audience for black dyke was probably around about 850 people. We're thinking about now how we can uh, find a pathway of confidence to bring these people back in to listening uh, to concerts. So we've been thinking about how perhaps in the, as we head towards the summer uh, that we go back to the very old days of the John Philip Sousa where we'd be perhaps playing some concerts outside. But those concerts may be more than one in a day. Uh, so we can have the opportunity of playing for 45 minutes, uh, let's say in Harrogate and going across to Peace Hall where the, the of course was the venue when they recorded uh, Brassed Off then you can imagine doing another performance there, but encouraging people to listen to live music without creating perhaps those large crowds uh, initially. But it's that pathway of confidence that's going to find the pathway to performance for the future. On this non-contesting side, one non-competing event in which you and Black Dyke would normally be involved is the Royal Northern College of Music Brass Band Festival, another event, of course, that was unable to take place this year. How much do you enjoy that event and the musical challenges that it brings? The Festival of Brass, of course, I'm really proud to say I played in the very first one um, when it was used to be held at the Studio 7 in Manchester and now, of course, at the Royal Northern College of Music. It's a special event. It's, a, it's an opportunity where you can play challenging uh, original works, which you can't do in, uh, in many other concerts. 
I think it's also important, though, to make sure uh, that you do create a, a program that's fitting for the occasion that you're performing in. And so very often I can go to the Royal Northern and I can play a wonderful piece of music and I can guide the audience by giving them a brief description of this contemporary work that I might be playing or classic. But if it comes to that stage where I'm trying to educate them, then I'm choosing the wrong piece. And, you know, I've, I've got to realize that. And at the Royal Northern, they do seem to enjoy their classics as well as an occasional contemporary work. We shouldn't forget the Festival of Brass. It's a, it's a special event, but probably uh, only brings in an, an average audience of around 350 people. We chose at Black Day to also produce our own festival at Leeds Town Hall. Uh, we, we invite other bands to come and join us on the platform and they can rub shoulders with Black Dyke in a similar concert. So a normal community band uh, would, would be looking for an audience of a hundred plus when they, get, when they walk onto that stage and they, they've got over a thousand people there, and then I don't just have them for show. All of the second half, we play together. We play together. So I love the Festival of Brass and, um, and I long may continue, but let's not forget about uh, sharing and rubbing shoulders with champions like Black Dyke and having those festival brasses where you can play music for everyone. When you're working in that festival environment as opposed to being on the contest stage, does your musical approach change? Or is that irrelevant? No, it's definitely not irrelevant. Um, I'm, I'm a conductor, but I'm a bandsman at heart. And as a bandsman, I've got a conscience. So when I go to a competition, sometimes I don't do what's in my heart. I do what's required to try and win the competition because I'm effectively representing the 30 musicians that are, that are in front of me. If you ever need a reality, if the conductor just wants to conduct on his own, he'll find that it's very quiet. And so I can see when I go to a competition uh, that, uh, you know, in, in the spirit of it, I'd like to do something faster or I'd like to do something more with the music. Uh, but then the reality is I can do that in a concert and explain to the audience what I'm trying to achieve. Uh, but in a competition, then in actual fact, there are, there are some people that are adjudicating. And if you enter a contest, you've got to realise they are the people that we're trying to please, trying to please on, this, on, on that occasion. Um, certainly performances that I've done uh, in concerts and contests can be quite different. And so I mentioned Revelation to you. Well, the perfect example is if my first performance was around 23 minutes, it's now around 19. And so you have to move with what's required. Now, although you've enjoyed this long association with Black Dyke, you have found time to work with other bands as well. You've had partnerships far and wide, a long-standing connection to Foden's, there's the National Children's Brass Band, in Scotland with Cooperation and Latterly Whitburn, you're regularly in Norway too. When you have such familiarity at a band like Dyke, what's it like when you show up somewhere different or perhaps somewhere you haven't been at all? I guess that, that sometimes they have their own perception of what they think you're going to be like. And of course, at Black Dyke, uh, you have to create uh, a situation and, and almost certain ground rules uh, that you can have that space between you and, and the players. It doesn't mean that um, I don't respect them and don't um, enjoy their company. Uh, but when we go to Black Dyke, we go to make music. And so, for example, um, there's nothing better than socializing uh, with a, a pint of beer after a rehearsal. But I've got to say, at Black Dyke, I've never gone with the players after a rehearsal to go and socialize. 
mainly because uh, I think that after an intense rehearsal, they'll probably want to tell me what I'm doing wrong. And uh, I've already given an awful lot of thought what I'd like to do right. And so um, I never do that. For instance, when we go to concerts, uh, I don't travel on the band coach um, because I believe that the players should have their own space so they can express themselves. Of course, when I go to other bands, let's take um, the two bands that I'm working with at the moment, the Whitburn Band and uh, the Riverside Band. Well, in, uh, in Whitburn, I've got some real close friends being, being Charlie and of course, uh, Paul Keenan. Um, when I go up there, I look forward uh, to the social side of it. And because you're only popping in on a regular basis, uh, they can almost see the, the more personal side of you. It doesn't mean that you have two heads and you suddenly start to laugh at every joke that they tell you, but because you're only there for a short time, it's important uh, that they do see that, that it's not an act. Uh, you know, I, I, I hear of many uh, conductors who try to be really loud and shouty. Many good players will see through that very quickly, and uh, it's not what I want to be. Well, Nick, we are now approaching the final stages of this fascinating conversation today. Look, we remain in this strange time when it isn't entirely clear when banding as we know it will resume, although, of course, the vaccine rollout offers plenty of grounds for optimism. When that time does come, though, and the green light is given, what are you still keen to achieve? For someone who's done so much as a player, as a conductor, what's that next challenge for you? What's motivating you to keep pushing forward? The new normality is what we're, we're hinting at there, Mark, because we've got to create that, that, that as I mentioned earlier, the pathway of, of confidence. And um, to be able to get full band rehearsals is going to take some time. And so at, at the moment, behind the scenes, we're creating the situation where small groups uh, can be meeting. We've uh, negotiated already larger premises where the full band can come back together uh, with some more um, socially distanced uh, situations. Of course, we've got to rethink um, how our, our concert diary will look. So, for instance, we're eagerly uh, going to be announcing about uh, six concerts that we're going to be doing via the internet. Again, people will be able to see Black Tide sooner rather than later, but it'll be in a digital format. It could be that uh, our concerts as we go forward would no longer be two hours in duration. And why do so many concerts start at 7.30 or 8 o'clock? Where perhaps in our local communities, those concerts will be starting at seven o'clock for one hour, then there'll be a short break, then a different audience will come back in, and then we'll listen to a separate concert, but all of these will be an, an hour in duration. So it's to reinvent yourself, and yet not try to create a different size to the wheel. Uh, if, if the wheel is rounded, brass band will still be sounding as great as it does, but it's to create that situation with an environment uh, that we encourage our mature people to come and support the bands again, but in a way that perhaps, as I said, in the summer, it may be some out, outside events uh, that we can create that interest without causing a large, a large group of people. Well, I'm sure that we can't wait collectively until we can get back to those days, even if it starts with small groups, even if it starts with shorter concerts. But when we can get people in the same room engaging with each other and making music again, it's going to be a wonderful experience. And just on a personal level with yourself, Nick, still things that you're looking to, to check off the list? I think there is. But, you know, when you, when you I, I say to people, you know, conducting Black Dyke is, is like being the manager of uh, Manchester United. 
It's, a, it's, the, it's the greatest band in the world. I say this, this, this other great bands. Somebody once said to me, there is only one Berlin Philharmonic and there is only one Vienna Boys Choir and there is only one Black Dyke Band. What we've got to do now is get out there and show them uh, that we still have the passion for it. And as we said, in the meantime, let's create that environment that they can still enjoy it. So the 27th of March for that virtual brass day with Black Dyke, come and rub shoulders with Richard Marshall, Dan Thomas, Brett Baker, and you'll certainly see me conducting those great pieces too. So come and join us. That's it for this episode of BB On The Record. Thank you to Nicholas Childs and thanks to you for listening. Do get in touch about anything you might have heard on the podcast. You can email info at britishbandsman.com. You can enjoy a digital subscription to British Bandsman. It costs just £42.99 for one year. That includes access to BB's exclusive Masterclass series, with recent contributions coming from the likes of Richard Marshall, Tom Hutchinson, Brett Baker and Kirsty Abbotts. Go to BritishBandsman.com and click on subscribe. As for this podcast, you can find it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify. Join me next time on BB On The Record. Bye for now.